Make sure that's off. All right, good morning. Wonderful to see everyone this morning. We're going to continue our study in the book of 2 Timothy. So go ahead and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, and we're in chapter 2. I will start by reading verses 1 through 13, and then we'll finish up there. I think we left off uh, maybe verse 12 last week. We'll finish that up, and then we'll get into the second half of the chapter. So starting in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So I'll start by reviewing, as always. Uh, can anybody remind me of what we talked about last week, those of you who are here? I think we were looking at verses 11 through 13 there. Anybody remember anything? Go ahead. Um, in conjunction with verse 11, we talked about the whole idea that we died with Christ and we died on mm -hmm. the cross. And just how that's almost like mind-bending to contemplate, but, you know, before any of us were born, you know, our sins were paid for there, so that God counts, you know, in Jesus' life as our life, his death, our death, even his resurrection, were raised in Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a super important biblical idea, but uh, you know, again, it's not the way that a lot of modern Christians even think about their Christian lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, the scripture talks about uh, that we were spiritually connected to Christ's death on the cross as believers. Um, and so in that sense, we have died with him. We have been crucified with him. Uh, there's also, you know, I think kind of how I word it was it happens experientially in your life at your conversion. Uh, when you die to sin, die to self, and are made alive in Christ, uh, in that sense, you've died with Christ. But then also that we are spiritually connected to Christ at the cross uh, during his crucifixion, I think. And we looked at a number of verses that uh, I think speak to that, uh, one of which, which was Romans 6. We looked at the first few verses there that kind of speak to this idea. Um, and then uh, talked about that if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Uh, we will live with him in eternity. Uh, and how encouraging that doctrine is to know that, you know, when we're going through a disappointing time or a, a struggle or a trial, that to know that we will also live with Christ one day um, can be encouragement to help us get through that. So anything else we talked about? Do you remember? Go ahead. I think you mentioned that, you know, we will also live with him mm -hmm. for a rainbow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, that's important. And, uh, it, you know, it's so important that we endure faithfully mm -hmm. while we're here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked about that. So that's that next promise. And there was, in this these verses, we have four 
if statements followed by four promises. And I think we just got through the first two last week. And uh, there's the promise that if we endure, we will also reign with him. So not only are we living with Christ for eternity, but we're also reigning with him. Um, and we talked about kind of what that means, um, how there will be rewards in heaven. Um, and I think that kind of gets attributed to each believer in the terms of their role in heaven. Uh, we're not just going to be up there walking around looking at the pretty sights. Uh, we probably will do that, but there's going to be more to heaven than, than just that. There's going to be roles for us to fulfill, assignments, duties, responsibilities. And I think to the level in which we endure here on earth um, determines the level in which we reign with Christ in heaven. That's um, kind of what we talked about last week regarding that promise. Any other uh, comments? Well, with the four if, if followed by promises, mm -hmm. usually when you, when you get a promise or blessing listed after, it's such a contract. It's life and death. Mm -hmm. You know, and and it's such a promise to see, you know, there's the way Paul wrote it down, it was like, yes, you're going to die in Christ, but you will live forever. Mm -hmm. And there was always, it was a strong promise and a big promise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It is. And it's really both sides of that are encouraging, I think, that we have died with him. I mean, that should be encouragement to us yeah. to know that we've been crucified with him and our sins are forgiven and washed away. Um, and then also because of that, we will live with him. So. Anything else? We also talked about that uh, verse 11 there. The saying is trustworthy. Uh, this is something that Paul says, I think about five times actually, in the pastoral, epist pastoral epistles. Um, I was going to read this to you last week. I think I forgot to. But uh, anyway, he says this a number of times uh, before uh, something. And we kind of talked about how that's interesting because isn't everything in the Bible trustworthy? Uh, why, why did he just say that about this? Um, just kind of Paul's way of saying, listen up, as we might say to somebody uh, before we're about to say something that we really want them to understand or know. Not that everything else we've said they can disregard, but that we want them to listen up to this thing. And that's, I think, what Paul says here, kind of like how Jesus would say, uh, truly, truly, I say to you. And so we talked about that last week as well. So we'll uh, continue to uh, dive in here in verse 12 in the second half of them uh, as we're ready for this next promise here. Uh oh, I didn't rearrange my notes. I was going over them this morning, so I'll have to get these back in order here. There we go. So this next promise is if we deny him, he will. He also will deny us. Uh, so we talked a little bit about this last week. Again, I believe that this is talking about believers here. I think um, the we in here, if you go back to the verse promise, the second promise, I think those are clearly talking about believers, and it seems that uh, nothing indicates that that's changing what that we is. So I think the we is talking about believers here. Um, if we deny him, he also will deny us. I think this is true of, you know, it can be true of both believers and unbelievers. Of course, if an unbeliever denies Christ and rejects the gospel, then he will be denied eternal salvation. Um, and uh, so he'll be denied by Christ in that way. Uh, Matthew ten thirty three says, But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So I think that is clear. But I think that in the context here, it's talking about believers. And so I think there's a sense in which believers can deny Christ as well. Again, not in the sense that they will reject Christ and turn away from him. Uh, but I think there are ways in which a believer still can deny Christ. So what are some of those ways in which we can deny Christ? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Go ahead, ben. 
Godliness, a lot's wife, lot, so the things of the world can be so attractive, the bright lights. Instead of keeping your focus on the Lord, we are all about the place, focusing on other things. And then they say you can't serve two masters. So once your focus shifts, that's it. And I think it's always a subtle kind of thing. Sometimes we even justify mm-hmm. that, and then eventually we lose our effectiveness. You know? mm-hmm. It's always a clear problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think we deny him by being too consumed with the world and worldly things rather than the things of God and um, things that are most important in life. I think it's certainly a way. Any other ways? Go ahead. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think we do deny Christ in that way when we're denying that He's the one who's given us all these things. And when we, you know, even think our salvation is something to do with, with us and how wise we were to understand the message, believe it, uh, rather than understanding that if it weren't for the grace of God, then we would be a pagan unbeliever as well. So, um, yeah, that's a good point as well. Anything else? Go ahead, Diane. Um, I think, you know, when we're telling people that we're trusting in Jesus, might be, but then we can turn to the world for the solution. Mm. To me, that's denying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not trusting in him like like we should. Yeah, we. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a fine line. I mean, we could be trusting for healing, and yet we could still go to the doctor. But yeah. I, I mean, other things that you mm-hmm. know, the world can provide because it's quicker or easier mm-hmm. than waiting on the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point as well. Just, all, 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 all those lines. If you aren't a good witness for Christ, mm-hmm. you know, if people see that you're being worldly or, or untrusting or unfaithful, mm-hmm. you know, then you know, I can't think of well, there's worse ways, but you know, it's a bad way to it's a good way to deny Christ. Mm-hmm. It's a good sign to deny Christ. If people, you know, you can walk in the church, mm-hmm. but if you're seen out the world, mm-hmm. like the world. Yeah, yeah. not being a good representation of yeah. that which you claim to be following. Yeah. Did you have something? Like that? I didn't think about Peter, so he denied Christ because he was more afraid of the people that he could see mm-hmm. than he was like so scared of man rather than fear of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and then of course he outright verbally denied Christ, and so there's that way in which you can uh, deny Christ. We might outright deny our association with him, like Peter did. Um, and, you know, maybe you're in a group of, with a group of people and they're talking about how awful Christians are and how much they hate Christianity. And they turn to you and ask you, you know, so what do you think about that? Or, or uh, you know, are you a Christian or something? And maybe in your fear of what they might think of you or say, you say, I don't have anything to do with that. Or, you know, I don't, I'm not a Christian. So hopefully that doesn't happen to you. Um, but that would certainly be a way in which you can deny Christ um, by doing it verbally. I also think we can deny Christ by simply being silent. Um, I think uh, this may be when you're with a friend or a neighbor or a coworker or um, a relative or whatever it might be, and the Lord gives you a wide open door to testify of Him to them, and you know you may feel the conviction to do that to them, but you 
become ashamed and uh, you, you know kind of draw back because you're afraid of what might happen. You're afraid of the um, controversy that might uh, stir up or uh, offending this person. And so you decide not to say anything rather than to say something that you feel you're convicted to say. I think is a way in which we deny Christ. Or maybe we long for the approval of others or the acceptance of others or to be popular. And so we go along with their gossip or we maybe laugh along with their crude jokes uh, or we allow them to continue to slander others and instead of saying, you know, hey, you really shouldn't be talking that way um, because that's offensive to the Lord and that's sin. Um, we don't say that because we know that a lot of people aren't going to want to hear that. Um, and instead we either stay silent or worse yet, we join along with them in what they're saying. I think these are all ways in which a believer um, can deny Christ. So it's not just simply outright saying something that, that I have nothing to do with him. It is that, but also um, by being silent in these situations. Go ahead. It's kind of interesting. I was thinking about this. I'm like, I didn't realize we were going to be talking about this phrase, but I was thinking about this concept this week. Uh, like when you deny Christ, it, it can like leave you with regret for years on end. Mm-hmm. You kind know, of like it reminds me of Peter when he you know, denied Jesus. He went and wept bitterly, and I can't imagine. Got that for the rest of his life. Yeah. But for me, some of the times that I feel like I've denied Christ is when, you know, kind of like you were saying, I had a wide open evangelism opportunity, and out of pure fear of man, I didn't speak. Now, obviously, you can't, you know, you don't have to evangelize. You know, if you're on an elevator and you know you got somewhere to go, and you know, I'm not saying you got to evangelize everybody, but I know that in this particular instance that I'm thinking of, the only reason I didn't open my mouth was fear of man. Mm-hmm. And this was like 15 years ago. And every time I drive by that spot where I like kept my mouth shut, I still like kind of regret it, even though it's been like 15 mm-hmm. years later. Um, and, and I do feel like too, you know, it's it's not as egregious as like you know blaspheming Jesus or something like that. You know, I do think that there's like a spectrum of severity of sin. But you know, mm-hmm. by not opening my mouth when I really felt compelled to, and again, I knew that the only reason I wasn't was fear of man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've kind of read for a long time. In fact, you know, Jesus is back for all my sins, so I don't feel like you know, God's going to judge me or something like that for it. But at the same time, I, I do regret not speaking mm-hmm. up. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I think, yeah, it's certainly something that I deal with too. I'm not just pointing the finger at you guys um, and saying that, you know, you need to get better at that stuff. I mean, that that's something, the fear of man, the, the fear of confrontation that, um, kind of comes upon you when you, you feel you're convicted to share with them or something, and you, you end up not doing it. And it can lead to that kind of regret over that. Um, so it says, if we deny Christ, uh, then he also will deny us. And so again, if we're going to talk about this being uh, a believer, so we're talking about how Christ denies a believer then. So how does Christ deny a believer? Obviously, he does not deny a believer of salvation. Uh, we know John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So if you are a believer, you have come to the Lord, and He will not, or you will not be cast out. We talked about that a couple of lessons ago uh, in 1 Timothy about our eternal security in the Lord. So that's not what's in mind here. Uh, but how will Christ deny a believer? Any thoughts on that? Go ahead. Going back to what I said earlier about boasting and ourselves and what we have, we can take things away from us. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're boasting about how much money we earn versus the mm-hmm. and how we must take away our money, take away our comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are certainly tests that we go through. We have to list who are faithful and we don't deny him, but I think that is a punishment. Mm-hmm. Away and kind of removing blessings that you put around. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think he denies of temporal blessings, kind of like you're talking about there. Um, and that might be in material thing. Yeah, maybe we are boasting about these things. So the Lord takes that away from us, and now we don't have that to boast about anymore. Um, I think he'll deny us of, of joy and peace uh, as we're living. You know, kind of that regret that you talked about um, as we are not being faithful to the Lord and we're fearing man rather than fearing God. Uh, I think that joy and that peace um, becomes robbed of us, and we are... Um, that is a way in which Christ denies a believer of those kind of temporal blessings. Any other thoughts on how he might deny us? Good. Yeah, I think it's like an inner peace mm-hmm. that you just don't have. Or like yeah. peace that passes all understanding. But you mentioned, I mentioned Peter. And so you, you mentioned that he wept bitterly. Well, at that point, he was turning it. He wasn't denying Christ anymore because he wept bitterly and he repented. Mm-hmm. And then look what God did in his life. I mean, you know a pillar of the church. Mm-hmm. So for you, when you feel bad about something that happened 15 years ago, you're still feeling bad about it. It's like you're repenting in that feeling bad about it, kind of. And I don't think that God is denying you at that point. Like, maybe you did deny it in just a moment, but he's faithful. Like it even says, if we are faithful, he remains faithful. Or if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Mm-hmm. Like, he's still there, and he will still forgive you. Mm-hmm. He forgave Peter. Yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah. important to mention too. I mean, there there is forgiveness for these sins, and that joy and peace can be gotten back. I mean, if if we repent and um, you know, confess these sins and turn from them, of course, yeah, you can have that joy and peace restored. But yeah, you know, as you're doing these things, I think those things are denied of you. Those temporal blessings. Anything else? Go ahead, Kenny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think. Sorry, were you finished? I don't want to interrupt you, but uh, yeah, I think that there are uh, eternal. We're also forfeiting our future rewards, and we'll be denied of this again. We talked kind of in junction with the the last promise that to the level we faithfully endure, we will reign with Christ, and and that will kind of be attributed to us in our rewards in heaven. Um, and so, if we are denying Christ, I think that has an impact on our reign in the future, and he will deny us of rewards in heaven. Um, so I think that's another way in which Christ uh, will deny a believer as they deny him. Any other comments or questions on, on that? I wonder what you thought about this. I think it's the same Bible study. Well, I always read that as the first. I'm just talking about people who deny Christ. And I know you're talking about the we there, but it seems like it's kind of the same, like, for those who die with them, they'll live with them. For those who like, it's like kind of that context. And I just wonder what you thought about the commentary on the first paragraph you read that. Yeah, I, don't, I saw a number of commentaries, and I could be wrong. I don't know. I saw a number of commentaries, um, really just making it mention of of unbeliever denying Christ and the gospel, and if they reject him, then they'll be denied of salvation. Um, I don't know. To me, it seems to be to be talking of believer. I, I see what you're saying. It's not necessarily. Saying this is a specific group of beings, just saying if you've done this, like right, if you've died, then you will raise with them. But if you've denied him, then he will deny you. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Any, any other thoughts or comments on that? I, I think it's talking about believers, but there are other commentaries that, that kind of just mention it talking about unbelievers. Go ahead, Dave. Reading through it, um, I just always assumed that it was talking about the unbeliever. Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me of the Hebrews writer where the warning passages, we, us, he continues sitting willfully and no longer remains a sacrifice of mm-hmm. sins, but even though the audience is different in Hebrews, it's more broad. Mm-hmm. 
doubting. I just plainly reading this, it reminded me of how the Hebrew writer was writing. Mm -hmm. So when you mentioned that if we deny him, he'll deny us, it could be referring to believers as well. I'm completely open to that as well. And it, it can make sense, but I'm just not sure. I'm just kind of going along sure. with the whole thought process here. Mm -hmm. But um, I can see how it can apply to us. I just always, I'm working through it right now. I always thought it was. Um, yeah. To the unbeliever, similar to how the Hebrews were able to speak. But if this does apply to the believer, then I, I can see how the examples that we gave, where, you know, we can deny him in certain ways and we can deny us in certain ways. And I would add on to that, um, like hinder prayer could be another way that we could deny us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We deny him. So I'm, I'm not against. Yeah, I, I think it can be. True, it's certainly true of, of both believers and unbelievers. Uh, you know, if, again, if you deny Christ in the gospel, then you'll be denied salvation. So that's true of unbelievers. And then I think in the ways in which we talked about, it's true about believers as well. So yeah, I mean, you, you maybe disagree with who the we is, who it's uh, the context is talking about. I took it to mean it's talking about believers, but it's certainly applicable to both. So there's another yeah, thing. if all four of the if. If then, if if all four of them, if one is speaking about believers, then all of them are. Yeah. I don't see them just throw. I don't see Paul throwing one in that's focused on unbelievers. I think all four of them. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I think the we is talking about believers, but I think kind of what Drew was talking about is is maybe not having a specific group in mind. It's just saying if. A human does this. This is what the result is. I think is what you're saying, right? Go ahead, Kevin. It's almost as if these are like axiomatic statements, like self-evident statements, like mm -hmm. you know, like if someone dies with Christ, they're going to live with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if if someone endures, they'll reign with them. If someone denies them, you know, he'll deny. You know what I mean? They're just mm -hmm. self-evident truths just in reading them. Like, that's just a truth. You see mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I but, think. But I think everything oh. that, I, you know, I can see the the finality of that. You know, he's saying here, denying him. Um, I think of like you were mentioning, I think a lot of the commentaries I've seen on this is like the final, not, not mm -hmm. necessarily in the temporal denial like Peter, but the final denial. But I think you could still apply that, mm -hmm. you know, denying Christ in yeah. certain contexts and how we're judging. Yeah, yeah, I think, it, I think it's true of, of both. So, any other comments on this? Go ahead, Bennett. I think uh, if we take the character of the book as a whole, Paul is writing to Christian worker, pastor, somebody in the church. Mm -hmm. So I think more it speaks to our responsibility as Christian workers. Do we take our Christian calling seriously enough to go all the way with Christ? Because as we've seen all throughout the book, there are so many distractions. Some people start well, they fade away, some will continue, and things like that. So I think the bigger context. It's looking at how committed are we to the Christian calling? 
Sometimes we touch something, then we withdraw. And then <laughs> our friend was telling me, it's like, it gets to a time, we've piled up a storehouse of good works, and we are hoping that that will carry us through. Mm-hmm. When maybe God has given us more work to be done, mm-hmm. and then we neglect that we deny that, and then oh, others will do it. I think that is the thing. But I, to me, I think it's that it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Are we going to follow Christ to the end? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Again, kind of along those lines, you know, Paul in opening up this section, he says, "Therefore, I endure all everything for the sake of the elect." That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then he goes into this trustworthy saying. Um, and then he ends it by saying, Remind them of these things and charge them before God. So um, it's almost like for the elect, it's being reminded of, of, of these things, you know, because the elect is not someone who doesn't endure, for example. The elect is not someone who denies Christ. The elect is not someone who is faithless. You see, um, it's kind of, it's almost reminiscent of Hebrews. If you think about it, what Paul talks about in Hebrews where he says, um, he gives these sort of ifs, you know, uh, in, in the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. And then um, if we endure to the end, you know, things like that. But then Paul says, we are not those who fall back, but we are those who endure to the end. So, it's almost like this is just a charge, as he says here, to, to say, you know, and in giving these uh, these self-evident proofs, I think, mm-hmm. to kind of as as uh, Bennett was saying, just to strengthen their faith, if you will, mm-hmm. being God's elect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of go back and forth. This isn't the first time I've thought through this. Um, to kind of give points from both perspectives. Like the language here is very similar to the way that Jesus talks in the Gospels when he says, you know, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. And when he talks that way, he doesn't seem to be talking about like loss of rewards. It means more like depart from me, I never knew you, like this final uh, you know, denial. But at the same time, what do we do with true Christians who deny Jesus? You know, like Peter, Peter did it not just once, but he did it twice, you know, if you think about what he did in Galatians. And, you know, we've all probably known church members who do, the, you know, what we talked about earlier, who deny Jesus in a variety of ways, their behavior and whatnot. Um, so what do you, you know, are they, I don't think any of us want to say that they're lost because, you know, they got ashamed of the gospel of glory or something like that. So I can kind of see both ways. It might be wisest to say that, like, it does apply differently to, you know, to the believer and the unbeliever. The unbeliever, they're denied in the sense that they're cast into outer darkness, but the believers, you know, all that we've said about loss of rewards, loss of joy, you can show that from other passages that it's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, I think um, I think it uh, could be it could be taken either way, I guess. I mean I think again, like we talked about, it's it's certainly true of, of both in different respects, but it's certainly true of both the believer and the unbeliever. So we'll keep going here because we spent a lot more time on that than I thought we were going to. <laughs> yeah, if we, um, I gotta find out where I was again, though. Uh, so let's yeah, let's just go to the next promise here. So or the if, in verse thirteen, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Um. So, uh, what do you think Paul means by this? I'll just I'll start with that. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Yeah. 
I, again, was taking this to mean that he's talking about believers here, that if we are faithless, um, yet he remains uh, faithful. So I think this highlights how God uh, is not like us. Um, just because we are so often faithless uh, doesn't mean that he is the same way that we are. Uh, no, God is still faithful. And as Christians, we can be faithless in many ways. We can be faithless in denying Christ like we talked about. We can be faithless in our service to God. We can be faithless with our words or our thoughts. We can be faithless with our time. We can be faithless in not trusting the Lord like we should. Uh, and really, just pretty much any way in which we are sinning is a way in which we are faithless. But then we get to the tremendously encouraging promise that even though we are faithless, the Lord remains faithful. Um, and that is a, a very encouraging promise. Not as many times as we fall short of the glory of God and sin and do what we know we shouldn't do, uh, yet that doesn't... Uh, nullify the Lord's faithfulness just because we are faithless. The Lord is perfectly faithful without flaw. And he is faithful to every promise and to every covenant and to every word he has spoken. This reminds me of Numbers twenty three nineteen, which says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So God is not like us. He is not like man who lies and changes his mind all the time and doesn't keep his promises. Uh, whatever the Lord says, whatever the Lord speaks of, uh, comes to pass. And so he's faithful to not leave us or forsake us. Like we mentioned, he's faithful to work all things together for good. He's faithful to bring to completion that good work he began in you. And the reason is because he cannot deny himself. This is part of the character of who God is, and God cannot out act outside of his character. Deuteronomy 7 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So the idea of being forever there, that the Lord will keep his commandments, keep his covenants, because he is a faithful God. And so this is written to Timothy to encourage him, to motivate him, to stir him up, um, to embolden him to live and serve fearlessly for the gospel. And I think this also should have the same impact on us as we read through these promises, as we meditate on them, uh, that if we have died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, then we are going to reign with him one day. The warning that if we deny him, he'll deny us. Um, and then the, the promise that he is still faithful regardless of our faithlessness uh, to him. So I think that's the, the aim of, of this section here. Any final comments, questions on this before we move on? I think this is another wonderful uh, reminder. I mean, you really can't make it for workspace salvation. Like that, I know that's not really thing where you think that we're going to have the idea that somehow what I do, God's faithfulness to me, I guess, is dependent upon what I do is kind of mm -hmm. that way by that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Go ahead. Because the reason that verse reminds me of how the Old Testament, because time and time again, you see God make these promises, and then, like, right, like the next event, the person that he made the promises to makes a mess of things, but God's mm -hmm. going to show himself faithful. Mm -hmm. yeah, you think about the covenant with Noah. Like what happens immediately after that? Noah gets drunk and naked and all of that, but God's going to keep his covenant with Noah. Uh, you think about the covenant with Abraham. You know, um, you know, what does Abraham do? He doubts. He goes and has a kid with Hagar, messes all things up. I uh, think about the covenant with David. You know, immediately after what you know that covenant, he goes and you know, commits adultery with Bathsheba. So it seems like this consistent pattern that God makes these promises. We doubt. We sin. We mess. You know, we try to mess things up, but God is invincible and His purposes will stand even when we. Struggle and doubt and sin. Mm -hmm. um, 
so so many instances of the old you know the old testament come to mind right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good example. Of, it happens a lot in the Old Testament where God promises something if somebody does this and they don't do it, uh, but God's word still stands. So, go ahead. I have a question. I came across some teaching, this is two years ago, and it's real foggy in my mind. But it kind of like sins of unbelievers, God sees them differently than He sees sins of believers. And like Jesus is our righteousness. So, obviously, He would see our sins differently because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you speak to that? Because I can't really explain it any better. I mean, it's true. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, unbelievers aren't protected by Jesus, so like, yeah, they're going to be held accountable for you know every careless word they speak. Um, whereas we are covered by Jesus' righteousness, we're viewed as saints, we're new creations in Christ. But under that umbrella, our behavior does please or displease God. But it's more like the Father. You know, the the old Baptist confession says. Okay, while believers can't be lost, they can't fall under God's fatherly displeasure, if that makes sense. So he's not going to like send us to hell, but just like you know, father's going to be displeased when his kid does something really foolish, but not turn out of the family. That's how it is for the relationship with God. We're always fully secure in God's love, united to Jesus, you know, every spiritual blessing, all of that. But when we sin, you know, say grieve the spirit or whatnot, that doesn't please our father. Um, is this making any sense at all? Whereas the unbeliever is, you know, like God's enemy and he's pouring wrath with the day of judgment. So I mean, it's, like a, it's like a very different uh, position of there. And, you know, if, if you're not in Christ, you really ought to be terrified because you will be held accountable for like every single solitary sin. Whereas we are, you know, it's not like a mis- it's not okay for us to sin, but it is a very, very different situation. Uh, is pleasing your father as opposed to like accumulating wrath that you're going to experience on the day of judgment. Well said. Any other comments on that? I think uh, we can also speak to the fact that uh, if God is faithful to Himself, any work that is begun by God Himself would endure. Mm-hmm. And I give the example of uh, Steve Spurgeon. He had contemporaries when he was preaching, were big men and all of that. He was faithful in preaching the gospel. Today, many of those churches may have they died in collapsed. But Spurgeon's church still thriving. Mm-hmm. With all the literature and what have you. So it tells us that if we are faithful to the Lord and this is work, it will continue even long after we are gone. Mm-hmm. And it also tells us that when we don't become faithful and then we quit, God will find other people to continue the work. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the Lord. And if it is God, it will definitely continue because it's faithful. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we think that if we are not there, oh, this work will not go on. Oh, who's there? I'm the big guy. But <laughs> yes, if you are not there, somebody, God is able to raise somebody else. Sometimes mm-hmm. the young people. Mm-hmm. Never so mm-hmm. God is faithful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, we'll keep going here. Um, oh, we're ready for chapter two now. Uh, we're about out of time here, but I will read the rest of chapter two here, and then we'll see as far as we can get. Just starting in verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. 
They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So any comments or things that stuck out to you there as we read the second half of chapter 2? Okay. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of time left, but we'll uh, we'll pick up here in verse 14. And so in verses 14 uh, through 19, Paul is warning Timothy about the errors of false teaching and about the results of false teaching. And he warned specifically about the false teachers that had infiltrated the church, uh, not those who were very clearly on the outside, but those who were in the church and were causing division and were leading people astray by the false things that they were teaching. And we talked about some of the prominent false teaching uh, that was going on in that day a number of weeks ago. Uh, we had you know, forms of legalism, uh, Gnosticism was a big one in that day, Sophism, other kinds of uh, things that were uh, attacking the church at that particular point in time. And this false teaching was permeating the church of Ephesus, and it was capturing the, ten the attention of some, as it mentions. And so Paul wants to instruct Timothy on how he is to deal with, uh, with these sorts of things that are going on in church. And so he says, remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. So Paul tells Timothy to remind them. Uh, who do you think the them is referring to uh, in this verse here? Any, any thoughts on that? I think it is referring to the church um, widespread, I guess. I think there's a more specific... A group of people in mind, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong on that again. I don't know, but go ahead. Uh, would it be the like teachers of the church? Because I get back to two. Mm -hmm. He says, you know, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trustees to faithful men, and we have each other's also. Yeah. So he's got in mind. Maybe this entire section is written for you know, like those who would be recognized as teachers of the church. He's yeah, I think it is. I think it does go back to verse two in connection with that, and it says, "And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men." I think that is who Paul wants Timothy to remind, uh, to remind these things to him. And what he's reminding him is everything that was listed after verse two and before this verse, of uh, being the good soldier, of being uh, the hardworking farmer and the athlete, uh, where he compares it to that, and then all the things he mentions about the death of Christ. Um, and then these promises that we just talked about, he wants Timothy to remind these men who are being raised up to teach and, and minister as well uh, of these promises. And I think this speaks to our need to constantly be reminded of the truth found in God's Word. Um, it's not something that you just learn one time and then you're, you're good to go. It is something that you should be uh, hearing over and over and over again uh, about these truths. Uh, of the gospel and, and continually being reminded of this because he, he doesn't say introduce these things to them but rather remind them of these things meaning that these are things that they, sh they should already know and they should already be well aware of 
uh, but you need to remind these, r remind them of these things. And I don't think there'll probably ever be a Christian who will get to the end of their life and say, you know, I just wish I hadn't heard the gospel that many times. It was just a waste of time. So there, there, you can never hear these things enough times, and we need to always be reminded of them. Um, any comments on that? We'll probably stop there because we're out of time. Yeah, yeah, the continue absorbing the word of God and the truth that, that's in there. Go ahead. I know you don't have much time, but I just kind of want to read that verse to uh, uh, remind them not to quarrel about words. If you think that's more spirit, I think, I think he's talking more like don't catch your pearls before swine, that type of idea here, not so much like, oh, just let anything go, don't, you know, just. But don't argue about like we're supposed to defend doctrine. We're supposed to have you know, I can't do it in gentleness, but we're supposed to be able to give a reason for the hope that's in us and defend defend mm -hmm. the faith that was once for all delivered to the same. So I, I think if we're not careful, maybe we can interpret that verse to be too like liberal. I mean, just in that idea that oh, I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm not going to fight at anything. I'm not going to disagree yeah. with anybody, but I, I think he's kind of talking about don't waste your time on that. Yeah, I think yeah, we're going to talk about that. You'll have to come back next week. We're going to talk about that. But yeah, of course, we, we defend, we, we call out, refute false teaching, um, but he's not not to be consumed with that and, and spend too much time there. But yeah, you'll have to be back next week to hear more on that. Uh, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for um, this time of, of study in your word. Thank you for the privilege of, of studying your word and the access we have to it. Thank you for everyone who's come out this morning and the insight and the comments that are made uh, to try to help understand your word uh, more thoroughly. Just pray that you would give us this understanding. Um, thank you for these promises that we studied today, uh, that if we've died with you, we will be raised with you and live with you. Um, that even though we're faithless in so many ways, you are still faithful, Lord. And uh, we just praise you for this. I pray now that you'd be with Pastor Tim as he teaches and preaches your word. I pray that it would um, not fall on deaf ears, Lord, but that we would hear it and uh, you'd be encouraged by it, convicted by it, and uh, built up um, in through your word, Lord. pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sir? Thanks, Yeah. 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 Yeah.